Hello, and welcome to this episode of Sarah and Friends, a podcast series where I grab some of my educator friends and geek out for a while about teaching and leading and learning. In this series, we are taking a look at a special kind of wisdom, the kind that my guests would give to their first-year teaching selves. Uh, But don't worry, if you're not a first-year teacher, there is plenty of insight uh, for all of us from these educators. And with us today is Sarah Cater, who is an assistant professor at the University of Georgia and a professor in residence with Clark County Schools. Um, And even though I start off with those words, professor, um, (laughs) I, I want everyone in the Teaching Channel community to know what an incredible teacher Sarah is. So I'm going to have her start by telling us a little bit about her teaching journey. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me today, Sarah. This is a good conversation. Um, I think that we all have unexpected turns and twists that happen in our teaching journeys. And my story is very much in that vein. Um, I actually started out as a chemistry major. And it took until I had that chemistry degree for me to decide, you know what, teaching English sounds a lot more compelling. It sounds more <laughs> like what I meant to do. Right. Um, so, you know, we find our ways. I have been teaching now for 20 years. This is a this was a big anniversary year. And in fact, it was fun that I realized that with a group of pre-service teachers uh-huh. who then all instantly looked at me and went, how old are you? Which was beautiful and horrible right, all right. at the same time. Um, I started my teaching career as a middle school teacher. And I'll be honest that I didn't pick middle school. Middle school was just the position that was open. Yeah. And I was nervous and horrified and thought, oh, no, I'll just hold out for Chaucer. Chaucer will come. Uh And those little buggers got under my skin. Uh And I became a middle school English teacher. Uh And um, moved up at one point to teach and, and help open a high school. And then did some work as an administrator for a little bit. Mm-hmm. As, as we all move through those kinds of, I don't know, opportunities, the doors sure, that open. Sure. And early in your career, sometimes it's hard to say no to the doors that open. So you yeah. just follow them and see where they go. Yeah. Um, and mine led me out of the classroom for a while. So I went and did my, my doctoral studies. And then since have been in mixed roles. So... Right. I've worked as a tenure track professor in different institutions, and yet all through it, I've worked really hard to stay grounded in classrooms. So I keep coming back and teaching English, and I seem to find myself in eighth grade classrooms nine times out of 10, um, teaching English in high need, sometimes urban, usually very diverse and very complex teaching scenarios, situations and contexts. Um, and, and finding the joy each time, right? That right. thing that gets us reconnected with who we really might be. I don't know. So that's a little bit of my teaching journey. Yeah, I wanna, yeah, I wanna hear more about this joy. And um, I'm really curious about how you continue to fuel that, how you continue to find it. And um, I think maybe most importantly, how, how people who are in different places of their careers and sometimes in schools and maybe sometimes doing more education, how do they keep that joy? For me, the joy comes when I realize that teaching is something that I just keep learning how to do. Right. So teachers don't grow in a linear way. Right. As much as I might have had that notion coming into the profession that it was like, you know, step A, step B, step C. Um, I keep figuring it out each year. 
And the joy for me comes in meeting kids who have new stories and new needs and new questions, right? right. Questions that, that open me up to re-seeing the subject, re-seeing the content we teach, re-seeing the, the tools that we use as readers and writers. Um, you know, their, their curiosity is what keeps me joyful yes. and, and playful. Um, I think that I tend to not feel as much joy when I start to become very constrained Sure. And and um, defined yeah. by the assessments and 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 expectations that others might have. Um, and in some schools that I've worked in, there have been pacing guides that have basically said, "This is what you do day one, and this is what you do day 180." Yeah. But you know, we become teachers because we're creative, yeah. joyful, infectious, responsive folks who want to see where kids can take us. Right. Yeah. And when our learning happens alongside them, that's where the joy is. Right. So right. I look at all those other structures as floor. Right. Sure. And where that's I go right. with my kiddos is is ceiling. Yeah. And, and how can you not be excited every single day knowing that you have no idea what's going to happen? I, I know. I know. I know. Right? I know. So I look at people in other professions and I can't even imagine what that would feel like. Oh, I completely agree. I completely agree. So we have been in this profession almost the same amount of time. I just started my 19th year. Okay. And I, I a lot of times get this question and I'm really curious about how you would respond to it. So a lot of people will ask me, especially people outside of education, they'll mm-hmm. ask me if kids have changed. You know, are kids different 20 years later into this profession than they were when you started? And, you know, and I know how I respond to this, but I really am curious about how you respond to that. And do you get that question? I do get that question. Yeah, yeah. I do. And because I do a lot of work with digital tools and social media and exactly. technology, I think that people have an expectation that I'm going to say, sure, the kids are digital natives, dot, dot, dot. Right. Um, and I think that my gut response is, no, kids aren't different at all. That's always kids mine, too. Yeah. To, they need to move and they need to play. They need to find questions that interest them. And they need to be given space and, and, and help in pursuing the answers to those questions. Right. They need authentic audiences for their work. They need to have purpose and relevance behind the things we ask them to do. And they need time to linger and be quiet and read and write. You know, the landscape, the tools, the stuff, the the structures of school, the the ways that we package school, that's changed a lot in in the time that we've been in the profession. Mm -hmm. I don't think kids have. I think that kids remind me every day that they need those basic things. Yeah. Do you, do you, and oh, they're not basic. They're fundamental. They're right. core right. things. Because right. they're still adolescents who are just learning to grow into crazy bodies that are changing all the time. Right? <laughs> and, they're, and they're trying to navigate. The thing that has changed is that our world is more complex. I would agree I with believe. that. And I believe that they're expe- more is expected of them. They need to handle more. They need to filter more. They need to, um, to, to pick up and respond to things that I don't remember considering until I was an adult. Right. So when more is expected from you because the world is more complex, you need your English teachers, I think more than you might've needed them in the past, but that even that's kind of a hard thing to say, but you need them differently than you need them in the past. 
Well, and, and, and maybe that goes back to that joy bit too. Our, our job is always evolving and changing because our, our primary job is to see kids for who they are and help them grow into who they're going to become. Absolutely. Amidst this crazy, nutty, complex world that yes. we're in. So it, I think you also have brought into the conversation the role that technology plays in in your work, um, which of course has been a you know it's been a huge part of of what you've done, and I've always really appreciated the way that you rarely you rarely talk about technology. You usually talk about literacies, mm-hmm. um, and I just think that's so important because. Even though we're two English teachers here having this conversation, we have all kinds of teachers who are listening who are not English teachers, right. Right. but they are literacy teachers, yeah. right? Because we're all literacy teachers. And um, I'd love for you to speak to that a little bit and speak sure. a little bit to um, how technology is a literacy for us to all kind of embrace. You know, I think that, Maybe this comes from my chemistry roots, which yeah. is an odd thing to be thinking about. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I started teaching at a time where we told everybody that everybody was a reading teacher. Yeah. And I, I think there's a problem to that because I have colleagues who are brilliant mathematicians right. and colleagues who are amazing historians. Mm-hmm. And those are the literacies and the currencies that they're bringing into their classroom that they want to engage kids in and with. But the reading and the writing that you do inside of any discipline is inherent and core in the meaning making that happens in that space. It it can't be about the tools themselves. It has to be about the practices that those tools open up and allow and and the audiences that are now open to us or the ways in which we can say to a child who is really focused on becoming a scientist or an astrophysicist or or a librarian, I mean, yeah. any any walk or a mathematician, that we say to them, you need to develop a voice within this discipline. Right. And you need to be able to engage with experts in this discipline. And here are some modalities yeah. that might open that up. Here are some spaces and tools that allow us to engage with people in different kinds of ways. But more, here's this creative palette in which you can show us the ways in which you're smart. That's what the digital tools and social media and, and all these spaces are about. They're about opening up for kids the capacity to show us the ways that they're smart. And to, um, as some of the kids were, were talking with me about the other day, um, to do verbs that help them become nouns, right? Yeah. They're doing the reading and writing inside of all those disciplinary spaces to become that that person that they're looking to become and and where we fall into some traps as teachers i think sometimes is in thinking that one we need to be working in technology spaces that the kids are already working in right right so somehow i'm supposed to snapchat in my english classroom and have it have fidelity but that's not it that's not it we know better than that (laughs) we also fall into the trap of sometimes saying because it's there and somebody's provided it to me So in in my classroom, we have iPads and we have Chromebooks and we have all these things. I must use it all the time. And and that's not what happens outside of our school walls, right? The digital tools make sense when they allow us to do something that we couldn't do without them. Exactly. That's why I focus on the practices. So I focus on the verbs, right? Right. The things we can do with them, because a lot of the times they're not the right answer either. And we we need some other kind of literacy practice. And technology does not supplant what came before it, right. 
and it can't. It has to live alongside and, and just broaden our capacity and amplify our capacity. And I think that's and one of the... <laughs> Yeah, I think that's one of the big challenges that teachers really face is um, I think that we, we get these messages about being innovative and we get these messages about using technology and knowing our students and we sometimes confuse, you know, the strategies that come our way or the apps that come our way, right, with the real teaching. Those, those apps aren't doing the teaching. You know, the, the apps aren't connecting to the kids. People are doing that. And, and it's so easy to kind of get lulled by this other narrative that I think a lot of us uh, hear and struggle with. And I think it's because we're coming of age as teachers in a time where we're trying to figure out all the digital stuff at the yeah. same time, right? right? So, you know, it's it's the difference between being urgent in your technology use and being emergent in your technology use, right? Yeah. And and technology is no different than any of the other pedagogies we engage with. So as a teacher of writers, right. it took me a while to figure out how to make writing workshop work. Yeah. At first, I was really urgent in yes. my use because I read, I actually read, <laughs> I read in the middle and I read yeah. Seeking Diversity and I read all these great middle level texts and I was like, okay, I must do this right now uh-huh. and it must be perfect right now. Yes, I've, and, I think I've you know, had the same moment. Because as I've read it, this is how it's supposed to be done. And then I try it and, and it fails <laughs> in all right. kinds of intricate ways because I was urgent about it. Yeah. And I wasn't emergent. I didn't allow it to just slowly unfold. And I didn't allow myself to learn alongside my kids right. as we were experiencing it together. Yeah. Right? Instead, I was doing it to someone as opposed to yeah. learning alongside my kids as we figure it out. And that's, I don't know, that's one of those lessons I've come to again and again in my teaching. I, I feel like I need to have a tattoo somewhere that reminds <laughs> me, just sit down and learn alongside your kids and you'll get a whole lot further than if you think you know what you're doing. Right. And that takes incredible patience. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think it takes incredible patience and um, just the willingness to ha- to sometimes be alone, sometimes be quiet, you know, it's, that's not, it's not an easy thing to emerge. Um, but I think it's really wise. Well, and real innovation yeah. is not in response to somebody's edict, right? right? Real innovation has to come because you and this learning community have figured something out together that you desperately needed right. and that you need to share with the world, mm-hmm. right? That's where the innovation is. And you can't you can't put that on a school plan for the year, right? That right. can't be your goal right. that everyone will innovate. Right. Um, that that's an it's just not what we're there necessarily to do. So but we pull back constraints, innovation can happen, right? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Anyway. So I wanna Go back and think about your first year of teaching a little bit. Oh. I know, yeah. Um, and I, I want to know what kind of advice you would give today to your first year teacher self. Okay, so first year teacher self, and I thought a lot about this because uh-huh. as I work pre-service teachers and I look at them, I know, and I yeah, which is one of the reasons I wanted their anxieties. You. It, it just yeah. I see a lot of myself in that, and I actually found some video cassettes. 
when we moved a couple <laughs> months ago that were videos of me teaching in, in this lab setting and then in my student teaching place. So I could like watch myself as if, you know, I was yeah. one of my very bizarre experience, but impactful because it reminded me of the importance of lingering and listening and being slow yeah. and deliberate because I came out on fire as so many new teachers do. Absolutely. And I came out and became the other teachers that I worked alongside, as opposed to being honest to the teacher that I thought that I was, right? And so suddenly my teaching was focused on coverage because I inherited a curriculum and gosh, we'd better get through all of it because right. if the kids don't all leave knowing that the light at the end of the dock in the Great Gatsby is green for a purpose, I have not done my job as a teacher, right? Right, right? right. yes. <laughs> That was that was a big first year teacher mistake. So we marched through that curriculum. And what happened in the evolution uh-huh. for me was that I lost the joy to go back to what we were talking about before. And I slowed at a point in about January, February, when I realized that it was about the relationships and not about the content. Yeah. And that it was about seeing kids. And that in the process, I was delivering a curriculum that made them less of a reader and less of a writer and less of a thinker. And I had stopped trusting my instincts, even as a young, young, early new teacher that said, no, this might not be important for this group of kids right now. Um, And it it took a while for me to realize, to have the courage, Mm -hmm. to have the courage to linger with them that we didn't have to do 10 units in this designated period of time, but that it mattered more to do four really smart, in-depth, thoughtful, inquiry-driven learning experiences, right? Alongside them, um, where our work did work outside of the classroom, right? And I I think that's another thing that I wanted to remind myself or tell myself that, even if you don't see another teacher doing what you're doing, another teacher doesn't teach your kids, right? It's okay to be a teacher who does things differently. It's okay. And you're not alone. There are communities that you will find. Um, I I felt so isolated. Now, granted, it was pre-Twitter and pre-internet. It was pre-internet. Wow. That's a big thing to say. (laughs) But it was. I mean, we had gopher email my Uh first year of teaching. And then once we got to a point where we had email, I found a listserv of other English teachers who were in NCTE. And I found my tribe. And once I found my tribe, it all fell into place, right? In the ways that you would expect. Um, I I think that I, I would want to tell myself you will find your stride, but you have to be honest to your gut and your instinct, and you have to linger and slow and see kids. Yeah, That's and they'll, they'll they'll take you where you need to go. Right. It's and and you know so much of what you're saying is only what oftentimes hindsight can provide. Absolutely. You know, it's so Absolutely. it's so hard to see that when you're in it. Um, maybe even impossible, you know, in some ways to kind of just take that all in right when you're starting. Um, but I think it's, it's wonderful. 
when you're starting, you're seeing everything at once. Exactly. So you're seeing how the kids are moving, what's happening in the room, what the layout of the room looks yes. like, what do your bulletin boards look like? What does it sound like in the hallway? All of these different kinds of input are coming at you. And unless you develop some really set filters that are going to help yes. you look at the things that matter, there's an, you can become overwhelmed by all of it. Right. Right. Really, Because it all seems to matter. It, it all seems to matter the same. Yes. Yeah, everything is yes. the same. It does. And it, and it doesn't. No, <laughs> it doesn't I know. Always, it doesn't yeah, but, and that's part of the courage, right? That's part of the yeah. courage is to be able to say, you know, this d- will not preclude that. And I had brilliant teachers who had helped me see those things before I stepped into my own classroom. Um, But that doesn't mean that I trusted their voices. Right. Right. I didn't trust it until I hit a point where I went, oh, wait a minute. They were right. Kind of that thing that happens in adolescence anyway, where, you know, you hit your mid 20s and you realize how brilliant your parents were. Um, Same kind of thing where once you've been teaching for a little while, then you understand what those words meant. And you can put into context the teaching that you that you've seen and that you've been brought up in a way to to enact. Yeah. Well, I know all of our listeners will be able to most certainly, I think, hear the, you know, hear your words and and hang on to those. So whenever I get to do interviews, um, I always like to end with a lightning round. So I have five kind of quick questions. Yeah. So it's kind of like a little game. Um, So five kind of quick questions, you know, one to, you know, just a few word answers maybe. Okay. All right. The first one, uh, what book are you reading right now? The Serpent King by Jeff Zentner. Wonderful. Great piece of YA. Uh, what does it feel like to walk into a classroom? Ah, uh, 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 it, it, it's like the ocean. It's like the ocean on a, on a particularly stormy day where you've got to get a lot of breath and a lot of air when you go dive into those waves. Uh-huh. That's uh, can you give me the first name of a memorable student? Mm, Elliot. And what did Elliot teach you? Elliot taught me that it was okay for me to fail in front of my students, that there was always a next day. Mm-hmm. And that that's what he would remember. He would remember how I failed in front of him and that that was the most important learning he could do. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. That was no, more than no. one uh, What does it mean to be a teacher? <laughs> in one word? Yeah, um, well, or a few, or a few, or just right. a few. It means, it means grace. And, 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 and passion and patience to go back to one of your words and joy, absolute joy. Well, Sarah, you are amazing. And this has been a fantastic conversation. Um, and I, I know you, you talked about lingering and um, your words will linger. Right. This I think this will really linger for a lot of people. So thank you for sharing all of your all of your wisdom. Absolutely. Anytime, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you've heard some of your best teaching self um, in this conversation today and can remember that the work that you are doing is the very best kind. This is Sarah Brown Wessling for Teaching Channel. You can stay in touch with me via Twitter or through my webpage at sarahbrownwessling.com.